0: Hello. Mia turned to me and said, I like it when the kids read scripture. And I said, Why? And she said, Adults can be rather boring. They don't have that, what did you say, humor factor or fun factor. So I agree. It was very entertaining, wasn't it, to watch the stuff you can never plan or prepare for that's unfolding as the kids are singing. We have joy and meltdown, and meltdown and joy, and lots of fun. So, thank you to the kids and those who were herding cats while it was going on. I was uh, wrestling with God here for a minute and saying, I don't want to do this, and I'm going to do it. I've uh, got a friend here and his wife, Shane and Zita. And I was internally saying, it's Christmas. I don't want to give a word of encouragement, a prophetic word. And the Lord said, I don't care what you think. And so I, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You can stay seated if you want, or you can stand. But I saw the presence of God over the two of you like fire, Shane and Zita. And I said, Lord, I'm going to wait and do it afterwards. And the Lord said, no, I want you to call it out because the gifts and calling on them and their children are so strong that I'm jealously guarding over it. And I heard the passage from Isaiah 43 where the Lord says, Behold, I do a new thing. Don't call to mind the former things. Behold, I do something new and it springs forth today in your midst. And then I was saying, Lord, what is going on? And I heard the Lord say, Shane, that he's showing you mysteries of the kingdom, that he's showing you the mustard seed principle, and that He's planted this seed in you and your family, and He's taken you to the desert, and He's forming and fashioning you so that something new can spring forth. I thought of what Jesus said about another seed in John 12. He said, Unless this seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it's planted in the earth and dies, it bears much fruit. So we bless you today, we bless the process of what God's doing in you, and we want to encourage you, and uh, hopefully you leave enriched a little bit today. Thank you for for coming. Some of you that may be something new, Um, we believe that the Holy Spirit comes among us in all the various gifts, and Paul calls them the manifestations of the Spirit for what? The common good. And so if we give words to one another, we ask this. We have something called prophetic protocol. Is it biblical? First and foremost. Is it encouraging? Secondly. And thirdly, is it non-dogmatic? What do I mean by that? Every prophetic word, every word of encouragement is an invitation. You're not saying to someone, hey, this is the way it's going to be. Thus says the Lord. Did you notice what I said was an invitation to them? And it's meant to encourage. Does that encourage you this morning? And church, is it in line with Scripture? Did I say anything that's out? I'm quoting Scripture, actually. Some people might say, well, there's nothing revelatory in that. I'm not speaking the secrets of their heart, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. It's still an encouraging work of the Holy Spirit. I don't fully understand it. No one does. But when we speak and we speak scripture and we speak things that are encouraging to people, it does something. It's part of the body of Christ. So that's what we're going to be doing and practicing in the coming days. It's part of the history here at our Lord's and we're going to give ourselves to it afresh in the coming days. So today we celebrate the final Sunday of Advent. Two days until Christmas. Some of you are already crazy. I don't need to remind you the Christmas madness. But we're going to be celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus. And this morning I want to do something rather different with a text. I want to highlight the connection between our preparation for the advent or arrival of Jesus in his birth. To the arrival of his kingdom in his life and ministry. Starting January 6th, in two weeks, we're going to begin a new series called The Kingdom of God, A Biblical Vision, and we're going to explore together the kingdom of God, which is the dynamic rule and reign of God, the presence of God, and we're going to dig into the scriptures together and learn afresh what it means to be people of the kingdom. Prayerfully studying the kingdom of God together will inform and fuel our vision as a church. We're a community, a kingdom community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And so looking at this together will fuel that. The inbreaking of this kingdom is conveyed to us in the first chapter of Luke's gospel. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll have it on a slide. Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38. I'm going to read it. And as I read it, I'm going to ask you to listen for the promise of a king and his kingdom that was made to this young Mary. And I want you to look secondly for the way that Mary responds to this word of promise. So Luke 1:26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In this rich passage, there are many things going on, but I want us to recognize two central features. The first is the promise of the king. We'll look at this in verses 26 through 33. And secondly, the response of Mary in verses 35 through 38. I want to say up front, this passage first and foremost is about the coming king and the goodness of a God who gets involved in human history. My aim for us this morning is to learn a little bit from the response that Mary has to the word of the Lord that comes to her, to be inspired and empowered by her model of saying yes to the promises of the king. So let's look at this, verses 26 through 33, the promise of the king. It says here in verse 26, it's in the sixth month, and the text explains that this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. The archangel Gabriel was sent by God. Gabriel only appears two times in Scripture. He appears in the book of Daniel where he explains some of these cryptic visions that Daniel is having. So we know from his presence here, there's something important, something significant going on. The second time is here in Luke 1, where Gabriel brings the message of the coming king. Gabriel comes where? To Nazareth, a small village in Galilee, about 400 people the time of Christ. And he's got a message for this young lady named Mary, who's engaged to a man named Joseph from the house of David. Interesting. You can look at this later. This story is contrasted with one previous where the same angel Gabriel goes to a priest named Zechariah who becomes the father of John the Baptist. He's in an important city. He's an important religious leader. He's a priest. And how does he respond? Unbelief. Here in this story, the same Gabriel appears to a young lady in a tiny town, an insignificant person, and she responds in faith. I want us to sit with this for a minute. Nazareth is nowhere. Connie went recently and she talked about it. It's now 60,000 people, but then it was 400 people, so what's happening here would be comparable to the President of the United States, sending his personal envoy to Bowlegs, Oklahoma, with a message for a teenage girl. That's the equivalent here. This is big news. The most important prophetic word ever given in human history, and it's given to a nobody from a nowhere town in a desert in the Middle East. This is the message of the kingdom. This is how God works. And Luke spells this out in the rest of his gospel. The Lord chooses the overlooked and the weak and the marginalized to bring the power of his kingdom. This is exciting. The Lord takes weak people like you and me and says, I'm going to use you and you and you. I'm going to bring the power and presence of my kingdom through you. Verse 28 here. Gabriel says several things to Mary. He says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. He's basically saying, rejoice, you on whom God's grace is lavished. There's a Greek word here. It's karito. And it's used in Ephesians 1 for all Christians. And it speaks of the lavish grace of God that's poured out on the church. This is is the first time it's used in the New Testament. The lavish grace and love of God is poured out on this teenager, 12 or 13 years old. The grace of God is upon you, Mary. He says something else to her in that second phrase there, the Lord is with you. Mary would have known many of the stories where that phrase appears. She would have known the story of Gideon where the angel appears to Gideon in Judges 6 and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. She would have remembered this. So Gabriel is saying the same thing to her. The Lord is with you. But this time, the leader of a mighty army is about to enter your womb. And he's going to be born, and he's going to conquer the earth in love. Mary's perplexed, probably like you and I would be if an angel showed up and started talking to us. Mary's perplexed, and she says, who, me? The angel says, yes, Mary, you have found favor with God. He repeats this, it's a second time, isn't it? There's a commentator named Joel Green, and listen to what he says. He's a professor, New Testament scholar at Fuller Seminary, and he says this, God has given his favor to one who had no claim to worthy status he raised her up from a position of lowliness and has chosen her to have a central role in salvation history in other words god loves to work in and through the overlooked the underdogs and those on the margins this is the good news of the gospel look at verse 31 Gabriel says this, you will conceive, you'll bear a son, and name him Jesus. We know this, some of us. His name in Hebrew, Yeshua, is Joshua in English. And it means the Lord has saved. This child is going to be the new Joshua, Gabriel is saying. And he's going to conquer the Lord's spiritual enemies, and he's going to lead his people into the promised land. Heavy news. Good news. And then what does Gabriel do? He conveys five things. Look at this. Five promises about Mary's son, Jesus. The first at verse 32. What is it? Jesus will be great. Second promise here. This whole text is about Jesus, the king that's about to be born through you. The second thing here. Jesus will be called the son of the most high. Look at this for a moment here. The Hebrew for this is El Elyon. He's going to be son of El Elyon. It's a very significant Old Testament name for God. God most high over all others. It's kingdom language here. This is the true king. There are other competing kings, but the most high is the true king, and this is going to be his son. In Hebrew thought, a son embodied and reflected the father. So this is something very deep and rich and theological here that Gabriel is saying. Your son is going to embody and reflect the heavenly father's nature. Jesus would be the son of Yahweh, the representation of the most high God. Thirdly here, he will be given the throne of his father David. As David's descendant, Jesus will sit on David's throne. This is a fulfillment of promises that were made to David. You can look in 2 Samuel 7, places like this, big promises that were made, and he's going to fulfill them. Fourthly, Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever. As king, Jesus will reign over the people of God, Israel, spiritual Israel, and his church And finally, what's the text say, the fifth promise? There's a lot of meat here, isn't there, about this baby Jesus. His kingdom will never end. So these words would have reminded Mary of the promises that were made to David a thousand years earlier. His son Solomon, a future son, the Messiah would reign forever, and now this is ringing in her ears. So what these five promises convey is that Jesus fulfills all the promises that were made to the prophets. Jesus will be king over his people Israel and one day he will rule over all the nations. Five promises about the king. How does Mary respond here? Verses 34 through 38. The text says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She had never been with a man, it's the third time that this was mentioned. This is miraculous. I was reading one early Christian writer this morning and he said this is one of the greatest mysteries in the Christian faith, the mystery of the Trinity and the mystery of the Holy Incarnation of Jesus. It's a great mystery. It's holy ground. How does it happen? Look at the text, church. What's it say here? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This evokes images from the Old Testament. Again, the Old Testament was scripture that Mary would have been familiar with. She would have prayed. She would have meditated on. So when she's hearing this, she's remembering certain images from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew scriptures. If you remember in Genesis 1, the Spirit of the Lord is doing what? hovering over the surface of the waters. And now the Holy Spirit is getting ready to hover over her. This idea of the presence of God overshadowing her. Mary would have thought of the temple, the tabernacle, the holy place where the glory of God overshadowed the people to such an extent at times they couldn't stand because of the holiness and majesty of God, And now this same glory is about to overshadow her. You know what else it conjures up? Part two of the Gospel of Luke, which is what? The book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit overshadows and comes upon. Luke uses the same language in Acts that he's using right here. The Spirit of God is going to come upon you. Something powerful and historic is happening here. The Holy Spirit was bringing about the beginning of the recreation of humanity through the incarnation of the Messiah and establishing the new spiritual temple in the Word made flesh. This is rich, beautiful text here. And I do want to say this, all right? There is no question that this miraculous conception of Jesus is a unique, one-time event in salvation history. However, as the Apostle Paul asserts, Christ is being formed in each of us. Galatians 4.19. Christ himself is formed in every believer. It's not my opinion. The Apostle Paul said it meditating on this passage, one of my favorite Eastern Christians, Eastern Orthodox theologians, a guy named Maximus, says this, the incarnation of Christ is an ongoing mystery in all Christians. Amen, Scott? Think about that for a moment. The incarnation of Christ is an ongoing mystery in all Christians. Yes, it is a one-time event, but it becomes a model of how Christ comes through the Holy Spirit and is formed in us. I love it. One other ancient Christian commentator says that we can prepare our hearts like a crib, that we can prepare for Christ to be formed and born within us. And he says that this happens through what? Meditation on the word of God. As you meditate on Scripture and ponder who He is, reflecting on the glory and greatness of God, your heart becomes a dwelling place and Christ Himself is reflected and formed there. Verses 36 and 37 here as we wrap up, Gabriel tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age and barrenness. Some of the most powerful words in the entire New Testament right here. For nothing will be impossible with God. I looked up the Greek word there, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, and I looked it up in the Greek, and you know what it means in the Greek? Nothing. (laughs) I was thinking, are you sure that that really can? At times, I like to say certain things will be impossible with God, but the text says nothing So with the God of overlooked people, barren wombs, seemingly hopeless situations, all things are possible. Verse 38 here, this is the culmination of the passage. Mary's response to the promises regarding the king. And what does she say here? Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. So in humility, Mary is saying, she's the Lord's servant. She's saying, may it happen to me just as you've said. Again, I mentioned this is a unique moment, but it also paves the way for the coming king in each of us. There's something to learn from her. Her yes becomes a model of prayer for us. Do you hear that? The way that she postures herself before God, before the spoken word becomes a paradigm or a model of prayer for all Christians in all eras, her humble submission to God and faith in His Word become a model of prayer and obedience. I was realizing something this week. How did Jesus pray in one of the most grueling moments of His life? In the garden, Luke 22 talks about this, and He's agonizing over facing the cross. How does he pray? Father, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Mary raised Jesus and modeled for him this humble submission to the word of God. Jesus was fully human, fully divine. He observed his mother walking with the Lord. He grew up in this context of humble submission and deep dependence on the Father. So the question for us this morning becomes, what is the Father saying to you that awaits your yes? Is there something that the Lord is speaking to you about this morning, this week, this month? And he's waiting for you to say, here I am. Let it be with me according to your word. I may not fully understand, but I trust you." About five years ago, I've shared this story with some of you. In the midst of our desert season, Amanda and I, the Lord's word invaded me. I was shaving. That was back when I used to shave. And He invited me to serve His church and told me that there would be blessing if I did that, if I said yes. But like a faithful Jonah that I was, I was in a Jonah season of not saying yes and running and hiding. Glad that no one else in the room has done that before. I was not ready to fully embrace what God had. Called a leadership, pastoral ministry, stirring up the gifts in his church, I was working through instead discouragement, anger, doubt, frustration. Yet his word came to me. I could say yes or no. So, in my weakness, I mustered up a yes. It wasn't a big yes. Maybe on a scale of one to 10, it was a four. But nonetheless, it was a yes. And then I ran into the other room and told Amanda what happened. That I had made, I had heard the Lord and that I had made a meager attempt to say yes. That is what the Lord wants from us. Even if it's a meager yes, the Lord's speaking to some of you, I know that. The Lord loves us and speaks to us and guides us and waits for us to say yes. So in light of Advent and the beauty of a passage like this, What is the Father inviting you into this year? What step might the Father be asking you to take this year? As he speaks to you through his word, how can you say yes and embrace his purposes for your life with courage and faith? I'm going to invite you practically in the coming weeks to use this text here We're learning about something called arrow prayers around here, and it's basically taking small phrases, five, ten words from Scripture, and turning them into prayers that we can fire at the enemy and that we can also use to draw us into the presence of God. This passage is chock full of arrow prayers, is it not? Look, I'm just going to suggest a few, okay? Verse 28, you could pray this. Lord, I am your favored one. You are with me. Verses 32, you could say, Jesus, you are great. You reign. Your kingdom has no end. And that could be something that you carry with you for several days, praying these phrases. Again, it's not a long text at all. It's just a few words. Verse 37, nothing is impossible with you, O God as you're facing something in your life, in your heart, a terrible circumstance, you can say, Lord, your word says that nothing is impossible. I choose to believe. And finally, what she says at verse 38, let it be with me according to your word. That's a powerful prayer. The Lord will answer that. So Lord, we ask this morning that you would continue to be gracious to us We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you fill us, that you're fashioning the character of Jesus in us. And Lord, I ask for our lords in 2019 that this would be a year that we together say, Lord, let it be done to us according to your word. Let 2019 be a year that we give ourselves to you. We give ourselves to your word in faith and courage.